Well, first, just to say it's great to be back and to wish you all a happy new year. Many blessings in 98. How did you like the yes meditation? Yes, no? You can just nod. (laughs) A mix. Um, We did it tonight as a kind of prelude to the theme of the evening, which is really the path of acceptance. How our practices are grounded in, in acceptance and how acceptance really is the way that we can meet this life and live it fully. One of the great New Year's resolutions or any day resolutions that we can ever make is the one of being kinder to ourselves. And I know many people that make that resolution a lot. And we need to because what we find when we're paying attention is just how quickly we flip and turn on ourselves whether it's turning on our sense of who we are, our turning on an experience we're having, this shame, this fear, this anger is not okay, turning on our physical experience, the pains in our bodies is not okay. And the more we practice mindfulness, the more we wake up to how pervasive it is that we're judging and in some way saying no to our experience. We're we're fighting with how our lives are. And we spend most of our time trying to control the knobs to make our experience just so. Acceptance, according to the dictionary, is a quality of receptivity that's, that's willing, willing to experience. And then the opposite, of course, is saying no to what's happening, to in some way rejecting or pushing away our experience. Now, for most people, when we track kind of the changes over our spiritual life, there really is a movement towards lightening up on ourselves, towards being more receptive, towards not so instantaneously dropping into that place of judgment. And it happens in big ways when we start getting just how painful it is to judge ourselves and how much we do it. I've described at other times here one of my early wake-ups to judgment and it happened in college when I was with an older friend who was 22 and wiser and she was talking about how she was really learning to become her own best friend and she said that and I just kind of burst out crying because it just was so profound to me how I was the furthest thing from my own best friend how I treated myself pretty, in a pretty crummy way. And it was kind of in realizing the pain of that, that that was the first time I think I intentionally said about being nicer. And then, of course, I've had repeated wake-ups, you know, of going, whoa, you know, I've really gotten down on myself. It happens all the time. It is a turning point when we start to really see that, to see how conditioned we are to not like ourselves, to push away the life that's inside us. And as a teacher and also as a a therapist, I'd say it's the primary place of suffering that people bring in is the way that um, self-aversion manifests. So it's central to healing, to waking up, to begin to learn to befriend these lives, befriend our sense of self and befriend in even a deeper way the changing experience that arises. This is Ruth Fischel. It's a beautiful expression of it. She writes, it's beautiful to experience being with ourselves at a level of complete acceptance. When this happens, when you begin to give up resistance and needing to be perfect, a peace will come over you such as you have never known. So can we even imagine that? A complete sense of acceptance. It's that prayer in the loving-kindness meditation. May I accept myself just as I am. To even get a glimmer of that. To really be okay with our beings. So tonight, I'd like to explore the ways that we are conditioned to not do that. To contract and turn against ourselves, turn against our experience, and the practices that begin to open us 
and allow us to be with our lives fully. <clears throat> so as I mentioned, one of the main fronts of our resistance is towards our sense of self, to our different patterns of thinking and feeling and acting in the world. And as many of you know, it's very deeply conditioned that we all were brought up in a culture and by parents that had these ideas of how it is to be a good person, that we should be successful, are beautiful, are funny, are outgoing, are not so outgoing, are not needy, or whatever. We had these standards, and all of us in some way felt that we didn't meet up. And we internalize that message of not being good enough. This is as pervasive as anything I know of. Internalize the message of, in some way, not good enough. Results in these very core-level beliefs. I'm not lovable. I'm going to be abandoned. I'll never be good enough. I can't be successful. Joko Beck writes this. The devastating and painful character of our core belief drives each one of us to find ways to hide its existence from ourselves and others. To do this, we develop many strategies for covering the aching, quivering hole of pain. And it's true that we all have some deep sense of deficiency that we construct our lives around so that we don't have to feel it, so we can compensate for it, so others won't see it. And it's really important to begin to see our strategies, our ways of running away from that not okay feeling that's inside us. Now, one of our primary routes is through judging. We all have this idea that if I judge something enough, then I'll get over it, I'll fix it, I'll become better. And we get really vigilant, as if I'll never change if I don't judge myself and judge harshly. So what happens is mistakes and imperfections become really dangerous. And many people describe that, how it just out, it seems so disproportionate, but little errors, little mistakes, little ways of going wrong can feel life-threatening, like something really bad will happen. The truth is, as the Zen masters say, we're really just in life making one mistake after another and learning, but we hold it against ourselves. It's also been described that we, sh- that we feel we should be perfect, like just the full moon. No other moons are okay, you know. We're okay with mistakes and imperfections when they're at some distance, when they're not so immediate. Then we actually find them relaxing. This was... Um, some of you know this, I think. This is a description of... Um, some bulletins put up at churches in Europe, but they were put up in English. Thursday, there will be a meeting of the Little Mothers Club, all wishing to become little mothers. Please see the minister in his study. (laughs) Don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. (laughs) Remember, in prayer, the many who are sick of our church and community. This being Easter Sunday, we will ask Mrs. Martin to come forward and lay an egg on the altar. (laughs) Next Sunday, a special collection will be taken to defray the cost of the new carpet. All those wishing to do something on the new carpet may come forward and do so. (laughs) A bean supper will be held next Sunday evening in the fellowship hall. Special music will follow. One more. At the end of evening service tonight, the topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. (laughs) So we're tolerant with the errors at a distance, aren't we? It's fun. And yet close up with ourselves, with the people nearest to us, there's a lot of rigidity, a lot of a sense of not okay. So that's one strategy as we judge. Another strategy, and this can seem innocent, is we are in chronic self-improvement projects. We're always doing it. We're always figuring out how we can be better in some way, or if not better, look better, or if not look better, in some way mislead the world that we're not so bad. But there's this ongoing 
tendency to try to be okay and do these projects, and it reinforces this chronic core belief of not okay. There's nothing wrong with cultivating qualities in our being when it comes from trusting that it's our natural being that we're opening to, that we're learning to become who we fully are. But when it's fear-based striving, it reinforces the fear. I'm 30 years old, writes one person, but I read at a 34-year-old level, you know? (laughs) So we respond to this fear of inadequacy by striving, by trying really hard to fix and modulate and present and so on. And it's very far from accepting our own being just as we are. Other strategies, pushing it under, not acknowledging what's there to ourselves, to others, repressing, depressing, suppressing our anger, our needs, our fears, our shame. We do it in sitting meditation. We do it as we sit and we start getting quiet and then we find this restlessness and it's like this part of our being that feels like we're just going to jump out of our skin because we don't want to feel what's there. Look, it's very interesting when you get restless to ask, okay, what's underneath this? We're running away in some way. Often sleepiness can be the same way. Now sometimes we really are sleepy, but there's other times that as we sit, this kind of dullness and lethargy, it's called sloth and torpor, you know, kind of settles in. And it's, it's another way of creating a veil so we don't have to be with and feel what's there. Are we go off into obsessive thinking? Have you noticed? <laughs> Again, keeping busy in our minds so we don't open to the fullness of life in the body. And see it in our lifestyles, too. Most of us know the ways we have of leaving, whether it's by eating too much food or sleeping too much, our drugs, our, again, daydreaming or fantasizing, a million ways of staying busy and not facing the moment so much, not stopping, not being with what's there. A cartoon that I saw recently had a family on the desert on camels, and the parents were on one camel, and the kids on another, and then on the third, all their belongings. And the father's saying, will you stop asking if we're almost there? We're nomads for crying out loud. <laughs> tough, isn't it? (laughs) So not accepting how it is, wanting it different. There's countless ways that we kind of reject or leave the moment, and it's an essential part of mindfulness and awakening to begin to track how we're doing it in our lifestyles, and as we sit to notice, ah, leaving, okay, so this is how I leave. And then that's some willingness. Okay, what's really happening? Pema Chodron writes, the most fundamental aggression to ourselves, the most fundamental harm we can do to ourselves is not having the courage and respect to be with what is difficult in an honest and caring way. We violate ourselves by not opening to, sitting down in what's true, what's here, And we all have a domain of what feels too difficult. Each of us has a boundary or an edge beyond which not okay to feel this, not okay to experience this. And it's that boundary or edge that really defines the small self, that lets us know the sense of solidity and smallness and separateness. And yet, we're pretty unwilling to venture past to feel the woundedness, or the pain, or the shame, or the fear. Take a moment and reflect, if you will. You might want to close your eyes, and we'll be following this reflection up later with a guided meditation. Asking yourself, what is my edge? What is difficult to accept about my own being? What have I been unable to forgive or accept about the life within? It might be some pain or physical discomfort that's repeating, some sickness. It might be 
a mood or emotion or behavior you've done, a way you've hurt another, what feels difficult to accept? What feels not okay? And as you reflect on it, just sense how your body and mind feels when you say no to this, when you feel your resistance. Sense how long you've not been accepting a part of your being. Has it been all your life? Is it more recent? The energy that it takes to not accept, not forgive, not allow. And for now, just to acknowledge it to the extent that you're aware and can feel what not accepting is like, what rejecting a part of the experience is like, just to acknowledge it. Opening your eyes if you'd like. Carl Jung describes it this way, that our neurosis, our pain, our suffering arises from those parts of our psyche that have been unfelt, that have not been embraced or befriended. And he describes the spiritual path as a journey not to purity, but to wholeness, to include what has not been included. That as we do that, as we relax the boundaries and start saying yes, we start becoming more holy who we are in our natural being. As we let go and open to what's there, we become what is described as our Buddha nature, a naturally compassionate, open being. So the question really is, how do we begin to expand the realm of what's acceptable? This is really what our path is about. How do we begin to include more and more of our experience with a friendly and open heart? Now, in Buddhism, the basic practices, and this is true in, in most genuine spiritual paths that I've encountered, the most basic practices have to do with learning to see truth, see clearly what's this, and with kindness to embrace, to care about what's seen, to see what's true and to hold with compassion. And these have been described many times in this class as the two wings, you know, wisdom, seeing what's there, and compassion. And the body of the bird with these two wings is acceptance. Acceptance is the necessary ingredient in either cultivating wisdom or compassion. And as we cultivate those qualities, it deepens our capacity to accept. Acceptance means willing to be with this life, willing to touch and receive and experience and live this life. It's saying yes. So let's just look a little more closely at these two wings. The first, to see clearly, okay, what's true? That's the meaning of the word vipassana. Many of you know, to see clearly, to touch fully, to listen deeply, to really experience. We cannot see what's true if we're in any way pushing it away, trying to fix it, trying to control it, We know this in our relationships with each other. If you really want to understand another being, you can't have an agenda. You can't want something from them. You can't want them different. You cannot see who they are if there's an agenda. We know this with music. You can't really listen to music if you're busy trying to think of how the progression should be a little different and don't you think there should be a louder, you know. You can't be changing it around. You need to just be receptive with beauty, with art. Scientists call it the observer effect, that as soon as we have an agenda with anything we're observing, we cannot experience it in an immediate way. It changes. And so it is that to see truth, we need to cultivate the capacity to let be what is in this moment. Now what stops us, as the Buddha described it, is we get identified, we get involved. As soon as an experience arises, it's our so-called delusion, our misunderstanding, that in some way it's happening to a self, or a self is responsible for it. 
we immediately add this idea of self. And as soon as there's a self there, there's wanting more pleasure, wanting less pain. There's grasping. There's aversion. We start tampering with experience. We move from bare attention, which just notices what's happening, to a sense of solid self that is trying to control what's going on. Let's take it a little more closely. Last week, Amy was speaking of working with the body and with pain. So here we sit, and let's say as we sit, there is sensations that are unpleasant in one of the legs, right? And we sit there and throbbing, tension, tightness, but no, it goes into something else. My leg hurts, right? It goes from that to, uh uh-oh, last time I sat it hurt and it lasted the whole time. And then fear, so it turns into fear, and fear gets bigger and bigger. Maybe I should move. And then embarrassment, nobody else is moving, they're all sitting like, you know, absolutely still like Buddhas, you know. And then, then feelings of deficiency, and then doubt. I'm not made for this practice. I can't do that. So you see how it like proliferates? It just boom, 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 bigger and bigger. And then another wave, let's say, of discomfort. And then you move a little bit. And then, oh, I blew it. I wasn't really supposed to move. And it goes on and on. This is what the Buddha described as suffering. We don't suffer from the arising of unpleasant sensations. We suffer when it starts happening to a self, my leg. And then we add on all these layers of story and fear and grasping. So our practice in mindfulness is to wake up out of this proliferation, to come back to a moment-to-moment experience which may be unpleasant, but is not layered with all the suffering that I just described. And we do it by starting where we are, whatever we notice. Let's say we find ourselves in the judgment phase of that sequence. Ah, judging, judging. Start with that. Stop, pause, feel the sensations of the judging mind. Or if we catch ourselves with fear, okay, fear, fear, and feel the fear. We start exactly where we catch ourselves in that unfolding sequence, eventually it becomes our capacity to become awake closer and closer to the basic experience. Oh, sensations, okay, throbbing, twisting, burning. What's important to understand is that it's the recognition in a deep way of what's happening in the moment, connecting to it fully, that begins to free us up, that gives us the space and the room for experience to come and go. So there's more of a sense of balance and ease. But there's degrees to recognition. We teach Vipassana and say, okay, notice what's happening, but how deeply do we notice our experience? It can range. Sometimes it's noticing fear and going fear, fear, and then back to the breath. And it's like a glancing blow, like we've noticed something, but we haven't felt it very fully. It just registers in a very superficial and cognitive way. At other times, fear, fear, and then we open and we really feel the sensations and the contraction and the mood and the mind and the body and the heart, and there's a real opening to it. And in that full opening, because we're embodied, we have to feel it in our bodies, we can free it up to change and move and sense our own spaciousness and the capacity to be with what's there. Before this um, retreat I just taught, in the last couple of weeks I was here in town, I came down with a flu. My son and I were kind of passing it back and forth almost. And I knew I was going to be giving a talk on acceptance at this retreat, and I thought I'd come back and talk with you all. So there I was, not wanting to sit at all because my body was feeling miserable, thinking, well, I'm about to talk about opening to sensations in the body that are unpleasant. So I did a lot of practice with it. And... I remember at one point, you know, it was really uncomfortable to be there, and I was going off in thoughts. That was my escape route. And I finally came back and just gently kept noting unpleasant, unpleasant, because that was the realest thing, unpleasant. And I started playing with the way that I noted it till I 
said that word in a gentler and kinder and kinder tone. And the more I did that, the more I was able to simply rest in a space that allowed the sensations to come and go. And this isn't new, I've always known about the more you can honestly notice what's happening and do it in a soft way, the more room there is. But it really um, reminded me of the power of bringing a soft attention to physical discomfort and allowing attention to it. And this is the environment we need, and I know Amy talked about this last week, and it's kind of important to keep coming back, that there needs to be this willingness to feel in our bodies what's there and a softness so there's room, so we can let what's unpleasant float, let it be there and float in a space of kind attention. It's a training. It's a training to soften, with whether it's the tone of noticing unpleasantness, our softening into our body, it's training because we're wired to contract against it. It's the same thing with emotional difficulty. When things are intense for us emotionally, what do we do? We go off in thoughts. We don't want to feel the intensity and aliveness of painful emotions in our body. So, so much of our practice in learning to accept and be fully with is coming out of the stories that are going on in our minds and coming into our bodies with a sense of fullness. I'll tell you another story. This one, and this was um, last year, at some point I was counseling a couple, and particularly the woman in the couple, because she was dealing with so much anger, so much rage, so much judgment, and it was towards herself, but it was always towards her husband also, and their marriage was really on the rocks. And so I was working with her, and I encouraged her, because she is a meditator, when the anger would come up, to, you know, rather than going angry, angry, back to the breath, to really make plenty of room for it, to notice the story of it, but then to pause, to just stop and feel in her body what was happening, give it as much room as it needed. Ask, what is asking for acceptance? I also encouraged her, when she was with her husband, and they hit their point where she got very angry and defensive and so on, to stop in the middle of that and do the exact same thing. Pause, open the awareness to the body, go into the story, feel what was going on, ask the question, what is asking for acceptance? Over the months, she did it and found as she was sitting and she'd feel this kind of storm of anger or judgment that underneath that was enormous amount of fear. And when she could directly connect with that fear, she became quite compassionate, realizing how much she went through her life kind of storming around angry, but underneath that, a very scared, vulnerable little being. And she became quite compassionate towards that fear. But she said the most profound and transformative part of the experience was when she was in act of relating with her husband, to get into a place where she'd start to feel angry or defensive, and then to stop, to stop talking and check in and pause and under the defendedness feel her vulnerability. She said it was the most radical thing she had ever done and the most transformative. And she started to name to her husband what was going on. Okay, I'm scared. And in that naming and sharing what was happening, they got over this hump and reached another level of intimacy. So it was really inspiring to work with her and work with them because it's so different than what we do in this culture. We don't pause. When we're feeling intensity, we don't pause and go, okay, what's asking for acceptance? We don't invite what's difficult. Our parents didn't do it with us. When we were in a mood, having difficulty, For most of us, it was rare that we got a real invitation to be out with that. There was not room. Most of us had parents that weren't that comfortable with that kind of mood or experience. So we don't know how to do it for ourselves, to have that kind of tender, allowing question, okay, what wants acceptance? 
We don't pause to feel what's under there, and especially with each other. I mean, imagine for yourself one of the people in your lives where there's reactivity and how you get locked in, how you lock horns or how you just lock into some defensive or aggressive posture. And imagine what it would be like if instead of playing it out the way you normally do, you stopped and just felt into your body and your heart and felt into vulnerability and then started naming that. It's a powerful practice. We have very set in our ways these strategies to avoid discomfort. We all have them. So when we don't do those strategies, it opens us in a profound way. This is Wendell Berry. I go among trees and sit still. All my stirring becomes quiet around me like circles on water. My tasks lie in their places where I left them, asleep like cattle. Then what I am afraid of comes. I live for a while in its sight. What I fear and it leaves it, and the fear of it leaves me. It sings, and I hear its song. So opening out of the story, coming to just be with what is by pausing, noticing what's true, feeling fully in our bodies, in our bodies. So the practice of acceptance, of becoming more free, is really the practice of opening up this realm to wider and wider expanse of experience, feeling with our whole body. And what that means is opening to the truth of impermanence and of dying, of death. We are, in the most deep ways, wired to have that as our kind of last edge, this opening to the very nature of a changing life. We want to hold on to things. We want to hold on to these bodies and these minds and each other. So in the deepest way, acceptance is about opening to death, to loss of it all. One person described the spiritual path quite simply as learning how to die to die to this moment, that the beginning of this class is over, this day, most of it's over. 1997, certainly, as over as is the time of the Egyptians back in ancient history. I mean, it's all, that's, it's not real anymore. It's not here. We lose it all, these moments and these lives. To learn how to let go, to learn how to die, is part of acceptance. Each time we do that, in small ways and big ways, we find we have more and more room for how life is. It becomes our nature to say, okay, this too, and letting go of this, and opening to this. We find we have room in the sense that we can be okay about what has so fo- for so long felt not okay. This last round teaching at uh, IMS, that's the Insight Meditation Society in Barry, I just got back from there. I met with uh, one of the students there that's now at a mid-stage of Alzheimer's, and I see him each year when I go there and work with him some on his practice and his life. And he described this time, he's been, te- he's been meditating for probably 20-some years, and he teaches meditation, although not any longer, he can't. And he described some years ago how just when Alzheimer's was beginning to creep up, the early stages of dementia, how he had a, he was signed up to teach, and he went to the hall that he was teaching at, and there were several hundred students gathered to listen to him. And he got there, and he sat down, and he was just about to start when he realized he was totally blank. Like, absolutely, there was no words, nothing no memory of anything he was going to say. He was absolutely blank, so he just sat there blank. And then he began to say out loud what his experience was, which was, I can't remember, I have no words, I'm confused, I'm scared, part of me's dying and I'm feeling it right now, and on and on, just naming for him the horror and then just the confusion and the pain of experiencing what was happening. 
And then after some time, he apologized. He said, I'm really sorry. I'm just sorry. I can't help it. And the students apparently were quite touched, many of them with tears in their eyes. and, And what they said back to him was, nobody's ever offered us a teaching like this. You know, many teachers talk about facing what's true with honesty, with courage, with realness. But there they had a being that was right in the moment, dying in some way, experiencing loss, and naming it and acknowledging it with a quality of courage and tenderness that was a teaching. It's our capacity to open to it all. We have what the Buddha described as the greatness of heart, to be fully with this life, to not reject anything, not even death. But what makes it possible for us to do this is our very natural and inherent love for life. It's the love that makes room for opening. The first wing I described earlier is the wisdom, the seeing clearly, the recognizing and feeling what's there. The second wing is that of love, of caring for what we see. And as we cultivate that, as we cultivate the seeing clearly and this great heart, what happens is rather than being this small self that's struggling against our experience, we become the being that sees and loves. We become the space that is room, that can be with what arises. We become the Buddha that is our nature. This is a short story written by Richard Seltzer, who's a surgeon, in a book entitled Mortal Lessons. I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh, I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself, he and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at and touch each other so generously, greedily. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this, she asks. Yes, I say, it will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent, silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It is kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand, and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a god. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth an eye so close I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her that their kiss still works. I remember that the gods appeared in ancient Greece as mortals, and I hold my breath and let the wonder in. When we face mindfully honestly, what's true, even the most difficult, there's a natural compassion that arises when we really face what's true. And it's our capacity to cultivate this also. Many of you know the stories of Deepama, this Indian saint who's no longer alive, who, who taught Vipassana and would teach in this big hall. And, people would be sitting, and whenever she'd sense anyone struggling, she'd go to them and put her hand on their shoulder and simply whisper in their ear, it's okay. This great mantra, it's okay. And I heard this story at my very first Buddhist mindfulness retreat, and for the rest of the retreat, whenever I would feel difficulty inside, I kind of felt the sense of this hand on my shoulder and this little voice whispering in my ear, it's okay. And it helped make room for what's there. This quality of care is what allows acceptance to be complete. 
It's the warmth of our hearts that really melt the final resistance, the final pushing away of life, when our hearts are warm in that way. And we cultivate it here. We do Vipassana and we practice the loving-kindness practices in so many ways. Many of you know the practice of simply touching your own being, hand on the heart or the cheek, it's okay. It's another way of doing it. It's a way of communicating tenderness to help make room for what's there. We need to learn to be tender. It's not taught in this culture. And yet it's what allows us to live fully, to love fully. The yes meditation. You can use it or leave it however you wish, but it's that quality of attention that really receives what's happening with a soft and a caring heart. It's important to know that this practice, this process of saying yes to what's there, really has its own timing, and it's gradual. And the more that we've been traumatized and hurt, the more gradual it needs to be. So part of what we're saying yes to is just how gradual it is, how we can't open right away, how we can embrace it right away. Do you understand? That's part of us being tender and kind, is to acknowledge that it's slow, that we need to spend time making it safe for ourselves, touching peace, feeling a container that has care in it before we kind of open ourselves to the fullness. But gradually, over time, each moment of opening honestly to what is starts teaching us that we have the space in our hearts and minds to do it. And this is great freedom. This is what helps to release the fear of imperfection. That It gives us a sense of enough, like this moment's enough. I don't have to fight it and lean into the future and have more and resist. This capacity to be with it, what is, allows us to appreciate our moments, to touch a sense of joy. I heard recently a story about Ramdas who as many of you know, had a stroke that's really disabled him in quite a full way, and he's just beginning to talk again and um, can't move around well and is experiencing dying in his way and in a courageous way. And his practice really is to open to it and be with it, to not fight it. And in that, he's finding incredible beauty in the simplicity of small things. And he described how now, with each person who visits him, his only intent is to have a moment of truth with each being. And I just was really inspired by that, just the idea that with each being we meet, and it doesn't matter how surface or deep the meeting is, that in some way we bring that realness, that we're not trying to make something different or push away anything, but rather just to connect with what's real, what's honest, what's true. So this is the practice, this being with what is, saying yes to the moment, opening, feeling it fully, with as much heart as possible, and discovering, much like breathing, that our practice is really to receive what comes in, to let go of what's ready to leave. Mary Oliver writes, to live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. It's a beautiful resolve, this new year or this new moment, to go deeper into being kind, to go deeper in embracing our lives. It's a resolve that can free us to really live fully, to love with all our beings. So I'd like to end here and do a brief guided meditation as a way of closing our class. But first, you've been sitting for a while, so please stretch your legs if you'd like, and then come back.
and sit comfortably. So sitting in a way that is relaxed, but alert. And letting your eyes close and feeling your breath coming to the heart area. So you're feeling your heart as you breathe in, exhaling, relaxing, letting go some. As you feel your heart, feeling your own natural vulnerability, the tenderness, feeling what's true. If it's numb, tired, sad, happy, just feeling what's true. And then bringing to mind, as you did earlier, if there's something that's difficult to accept, that you'd like to find some more freedom around, something about your being, your behavior, some mood, some quality of unpleasantness or difficulty in the body or the heart, some way you react to others. There's something that's difficult to accept. And taking some moments to sense the situation, the context that brings it up so that you can feel fully, invite it. The feeling that's difficult to accept, the feeling of non-acceptance. Recognizing and sensing what you've been pushing away. Again, wondering how long you've been living, resisting some part of your being and relaxing the belly and the heart and making room for the feelings around that, feeling what's there, feeling your judgment, your resistance, the pain of what's being resisted, whatever you get in touch with, but feeling with gentleness, allowing what's there to be there, saying yes or touching with your hand or your heart, however feels right, your own being. Yes to this pain. Yes to what's being resisted, to what's asking for acceptance. With a soft, caring attention, just noticing what's there. And if it's difficult to get in touch with what's there, to be kind and present with that. It doesn't matter so much what arises as the quality of care and attention we bring. Yes, to the shame, to the anger, to the numbness, to the tiredness. If you're feeling peaceful, yes, to the peacefulness. Relka writes, perhaps all the dragons of our lives are princesses who are only waiting to see us once, beautiful and brave. Perhaps everything terrible is in its deepest being something that needs our love. Can we bring love to the parts of our being we've pushed away?
closing with brief prayer. May I accept myself just as I am, hold myself in loving kindness. Sensing the beings in this room, each with the intention to open, may we all open to accept this life within, to hold this life with loving kindness and extending our prayer to all beings. May all beings be filled with loving kindness. May all beings be happy. May all beings touch peace. May all beings awaken and be free. Closing as we open with the chanting of Om, please take a deep in-breath and then out-breath. And then inhale. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.